Good morning and a very warm welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, we have a pretty fascinating subject today, the frontier markets. The investment community is talking about, the growth markets are talking about, uh, that what's the future? Uh, we discussed in past episodes about the BRICS, the TIMP, the MINT, and the N11 markets. And now look at it. What are frontier markets? Are they the new growth story? Will they be the new challengers to the BRICS? Or would some of them would be there? So the term frontier markets was coined in 1992 by the International Finance Corporation. And it is referred to a subset of emerging markets. Subsequent to that, uh, frontier indices uh, were established by major providers like Standard & Poor, MSCI, Russell Investment, and FTSE. The number of frontier markets in these indices ranges from anywhere 25 in the MSCI index to 41 in the Russell Frontier Index. These frontier markets are generally concentrated in Eastern Europe, Africa, the Middle East, South America, and Asia. The biggest frontier markets when it started were listed as Kuwait, Qatar, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, Nigeria, Argentina, and Kazakhstan. Uh, at that time, when it started, the criteria for inclusion was that it should not already be a component of any emerging market or developed market indices. They must also qualify on parameters such as its economic development, market accessibility, liquidity, and foreign investment restrictions. Now, what we need to see here it's, you saw the mix of it. There are growth potential, the way these are being um, evaluated. Well, those, those evaluation will, will tell us, and that's what they are in it. And on the investment side, why would anybody invest if there is a growth potential? And that gets to the return on your investment. So what, what is the future of frontier markets? Will they be able to challenge the BRICS as the next growth opportunity? with real economic development? Or will they become yet another investment vehicle for some time and some of them will succeed, some will fall out, and the life goes on. Uh, I have uh, with me Dr. Sally uh, from University of Houston to discuss frontier markets. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Sally is strategy and international business professor at CT Bar College of Business at University of Houston. He has an engineering entrepreneurial background. The good part about him is he possesses unique practitioner and academic experience in North America and Asia. And above all, he specializes in competitive strategy, corporate strategy, strategic planning, and execution, new businesses or and new products, and also go-to-market strategy. How do you enter these markets? The research, surveys, all the data design, collection, analysis, statistical modeling, business, financial models, and planning. So his background is strategy, international business, uh, would be very helpful for discussions 
today. And beyond that, his other experiences are that uh, before teaching at University of, starting to teach at University of Houston, he has been the strategy and international business professor at University of Hong Kong. And uh, he has uh, taught international business in New Orleans also. And, and, and beyond that, he has worked as a consultant at World Bank and British Council. And he has been also an entrepreneur with two startups. <laughs> and he was also a currency trader. So very wide background, understands the investment sides, understand the growth as it comes uh, in the businesses, in the geographies, and how the whole mechanism works. Welcome, Dr. Sally. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. So, Dr. Sally, uh, today's discussion which we have are focused on frontier markets. The question I had in mind to, to kickstart our discussion was, are the frontier markets a real growth opportunity for businesses in terms of the economic growth of a region, the economic growth of businesses where multinational companies can go and participate? Or is it a risk-reward situation created by the investment community that, well, let's see, here is a location or here is a group of countries which are created and a fund where, uh, yeah, there is a risk. We acknowledge these are the risks, but the upside is also uh, quite large associated with it. Uh, before we go there, let me give a quick introduction to Frontier Markets for our audience. So, in equity markets, frontier markets constitute one segment, which is typically missing in, in institutional portfolios because most of the portfolios are built on developed economies or emerging markets or the BRICS or that kind of stuff. And uh, these represent developing countries which are supposed to have high rates of economic growth, but on the downside, they have a small and relative ill-liquid stock markets. And uh, actually, these markets are often found at an early stage of development. And uh, they, they get attention or why people get attracted to them. Why are we are talking, talking of frontier market? Number one, they provide an opportunity to diversify your portfolio. Uh, than the conventional or the existing or the known ones. And second, along with that, they offer a good growth potentials. But now look at what happens to the equities listed in frontier markets. Now they have become increasingly investable and they're attracting investors who are looking to benefit from early movers. Early movers in an asset class that some participants believe uh, that they have potential to become significant portion of the global equity market or the opportunity set where people can invest. Now we look at the other side of it. So the frontier markets of past, where are they? So some of the frontier markets of past have become the, the major economies today. And uh, uh, before going through all those uh, economic reforms, before going through development infrastructures and building platforms and regulations for share trading. Most of the uh, developed market or advanced countries were also at some stage in frontier uh, range. So one example would be, if you go back more than 200 years ago, New York Stock Exchange, where was it? There was no building there. It was under a buttonwood tree. And uh, 
that stock exchange was created to allow a, a group of, I would say, handful of brokers uh, to facilitate trading uh, in some, or rather you can count on your hand, handful of companies which are listed. So that's how it came up. Now, at that time, nobody would have predicted more than 200 years ago that New York Stock Exchange will be where it is today, or United States uh, would be today's largest economy in the world. Not too far uh, away, not too long away rather, China in 1980 was considered as a frontier market where they are today, second largest economy in the world. So uh, if we look at the list of uh, countries in the frontier market, some of the countries maybe a few decades ago were not existing because the number of countries have increased tremendously in the last 50 to 60 years. So that's it, that has played another role into some countries coming into frontier markets. Now, uh, since there's a lot of digitization happening now. We're in a digital age. The technology will allow frontier countries to move much faster than in the past. The frontier countries moved from one stage to another to, to developing to develop. And now with that advantage and connectivity to global stock markets, which are not connected earlier till the time it went all online, it's an opportunity for frontier markets to move fast if their economies are growing. Now, so they can migrate from frontier to developing to develop, but there is a reverse migration also, which happened in the case of Argentina and Venezuela, when they were removed from FTSE index uh, because of what happened with their economies. So that, that shows that there could be some slow transition and even regression. However, if you look at what's the trend over a long horizon, it is about growth. The global growth is happening and access to financial markets is opening up. And if this trend continues, the frontier markets of today have very good chance of becoming the developed markets of future. And uh, what does fr frontier markets refer to? It actually refers to the equity markets in small countries, which are at early stage of uh, political development, economic development, as compared to the matured economies, the mature emerging markets as well as larger markets and the uh, in in a way frontier markets can be classified as the younger brothers and sisters of the emerging markets because some of the emerging markets were there in the past and uh, they are typically character characterized with modest market capitalization limited investability and limited liquidity and, and, and also another major issue you find in these markets is the market information is not available. Uh, it is it's, it's scarce and, and the quality of education could, uh, information could be doubtful. But there's another positive side to that is that most of them possess favorable demographics and prospects for nice long-term growths. And lastly, in the introduction, I would put this way, that we must remember, as the whole world is getting connected and the bricks have matured, their, their rate of growth is no more double digit, it has come down into high single digits. This could be the last opportunity 
for investing in in fast growing markets because the economies are getting interlinked so much that we may not have another opportunity. So that's what uh, I think, Dr. Sally, and you can walk us now and we can trigger our discussion on what are the characteristics and what are the other definitions of frontier markets? Well, I see so many definitions. <laughs> sure, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, really interesting. I think I'll pick up on the, maybe, uh, you know, using the New York Stock Exchange established 200 years ago uh, as a buttonwood tree and look where it is now. Maybe give a little background on the current indices that have been established and by whom. Uh, speaking of the investment community being at the forefront of many of these uh, classifications uh, of, of markets, whether emerging and now frontier. Uh, so Standard & Poor's, uh, they bought the IFC Emerging Markets Database in 2000 and uh, subsequently established a frontier index in 2007. Oh, so that was probably the starting point. Probably the starting okay. point of this whole. So that's you know still about what? Uh, 11, 12, uh, about 11 years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, subsequently, you know, these frontier indices um, have been established for sure by Standard & Poor's, but also by MSCI, uh, Russell Investments, and uh, FTSE, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so pretty much, you know, most of the major uh, providers. Uh, they vary somewhat in uh, the number of countries that they include. Uh, ranging from 25 in the MSCI index mm. to about 41 in the Russell Frontier Index. Uh, most of these markets, as we have talked, are generally concentrated in uh, you know, the new economies of Eastern Europe or transition economies. Uh, Africa as a continent has been termed you know, the last frontier or uh, the Somewhat surprisingly, the Middle East, and we'll come to that uh, a little bit later, uh, but also in South America and Asia. Uh, um, mentioning the Middle East, at least in terms of the indices, uh, the biggest frontier markets really are Kuwait, Qatar, and the UAE. And that's, and that's unbelievable. <laughs> These are all rich places. They have done so money. <laughs> they are so rich in natural resources. They are rich. They are developed. Mm -hmm. uh, they are, the infrastructure is incredible. Uh, puts developing or developed countries to shame even. Yeah, um, in some cases, yes. In some places. So, you know, uh, but from the kinds of characteristics that we initially described, you know, in terms of liquidity of capital and also in terms of you know, a lot of businesses being, let's say, state-owned, and we'll identify those later, uh, these have still been captured as frontier markets. Um, but then we also have the other end of the spectrum where we're talking of places like Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. uh, again, oil-rich, but, you know, still relatively uh, small in terms of uh, um, current development economy. And then we also have Argentina and Nigeria. Um, so as we can see, you know, the criteria really for inclusion has not been very rigid. Um, I think it looks like more accommodating to create a right kind of basket. Absolutely, and it seems like, you know, at least from the, um, uh, you know, the, the index providers, you know, they've evaluated parameters like economic development, market accessibility, uh, liquidity, uh, foreign investment restrictions, and also existing overseas investor interest, I'd say. Um, and, and, and most importantly, I think uh, it turns out that many of the countries in these frontier market index 
they are not currently captured um, in any of the other existing indices, such as the emerging market or the developed market indices. So in terms of an investment vehicle, uh, this is another option. Perfect, perfect. I think, Dr. Salih, this is the right time for us to take a short break, and we'll continue our discussions after that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sally here from University of Houston in Texas, and we are talking about the frontier markets. What's their role in future? So, Dr. Sally, we were talking about uh, the frontier market indices um, before the break, and I see there are many of them. And wh- what's the difference? How do we put one against the other? Sure, thank you. Uh, I think let's take a look at maybe uh, four of the main uh, frontier market indices. Uh, the first being the S&P Frontier BMI, or Broad Market Index. Uh, it's about 36 countries, mm-hmm. uh, 556 companies. Wow. Yeah. Uh, with, but, you know, mostly skewed towards financials. Uh-huh. Uh, about 53.9% financials, uh-huh. uh, then we have industrials and consumer staples. Uh-huh. And the top five countries uh, in the S&P Frontier BMI Index are Kuwait, Qatar, uh, UAE uh, from the Middle East, and then we have Nigeria and Argentina. Wow, so they're basically representing in top five, <laughs> the three are rich countries. <laughs> a- absolutely, and uh, uh, and basically the financials in these countries. Exactly, in terms of financial, there's not right. many industries, but natural resource rich. Right, yeah. so, you know, uh, probably again, you know, from an investment perspective, definitely make, would make sense. Right, right? because, you see, they're putting top three sectors about financials. So, if you have oil and gas in natural resources, yeah, you need to finance this project. The right. financial industry would be mature. The banking should be okay. You know? Right, and relatively safer, yeah. I would say. Uh, but still, uh, you know, at the stage of good returns. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, with the S&P uh, index. Uh, for the MSCI, Frontier mm-hmm. Markets Index, uh, fewer countries, uh, 25. Um, correspondingly, fewer companies too, 141. Mm-hmm. Um, here too, though, we see uh, you know uh, the top countries being 
Kuwait, Qatar, and the UAE, fairly similar. Uh, but then they have Nigeria and Pakistan mm -hmm. on the list. Top three sectors, again, not surprisingly, financials, 53.1. Uh, um, they have telecom services uh, and, uh, and industrials, which is similar to the BMI um, uh, S&P index. Uh, they replace telecom uh, and add telecom here. Um, so that's, that's for the MSCI index. Uh, the FTSE Frontier 50 index, um, really has actually 50 companies uh, from 26 countries. Uh, top five countries, uh, Qatar, uh, Oman. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have Kenya uh, as one of the most developed ones, I think, out of Africa, yeah. uh, as well as Nigeria, featuring again, and Argentina. Uh, the top three sectors, once again, we have banks, 51%, telecom, uh, and industrials. Uh, uh, and finally, we've got the Russell Frontier Index. Um, probably the most countries in their index are out of the ones we just mentioned, 41 countries. And they, they, they somehow don't disclose the companies. They, they, they don't, you're right. Uh, we, we don't have a full list mm -hmm. of the companies, uh, a, a good number on that, but we do know the top five countries. Again, are Kuwait uh, and Qatar from the Middle East. And then we have Nigeria, Africa, we again have Argentina, and we have Pakistan again featuring quite um, here as well. Top three sectors, financial services again. Uh, we have utilities uh, and energy appearing as well. This is surprising. All of them have financial services or banks as the main component. Absolutely. So this is the investment community having faith on the- Kind of funding their own community. <laughs> it looks like because everywhere you see is 51% uh, banks in FTSE. Russell, I don't know the number, but in top three. MSCI, same thing. They're 53% financials. And uh, S&P, Frontier, Broad Market Index, financials 53.9. Huge weightage on that. <laughs> Absolutely, and the other one seems to be the country, uh, you know, uh, yeah. in terms of, as we said, it's either Kuwait, Qatar, UAE, or mm -hmm. uh, Oman, out of the Middle East. The top countries, top three. Seven. Absolutely, and then on the other end, we've got, well, in the middle, we've got Nigeria, uh, but then we've got Pakistan on one other end mm -hmm. um, uh, of that. So, so definitely uh, quite a few similarities and parallels across these different indices uh, for the frontier markets. So this is very good definition in terms of funds. Uh, right, so a, 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 a business person would like to invest in, 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 the, in the countries for the growth of their business, participate in the economy and all. An individual investor may look into diversifying the portfolio and getting a return on the investment, although there's risk involved. But Dr. Sally, what, let's let's talk about why should one participate in frontier markets? Why are they getting this importance? Uh, yes, uh, and I think it's important. Uh, great question. Thank you for that. To kind of differentiate somewhat, mm -hmm. you know, from the investment perspective mm -hmm. versus, uh, as you said, you know. Um, uh, let's say real growth opportunity, mm -hmm. uh, other than just purely investment, uh, and not driven only by financials as the current set of uh, you know, indices seems to suggest. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's look at them for, I'd say, a couple of reasons. Uh, the first would be the growth potential uh, based on the demographics of many mm -hmm. of these countries. Mm -hmm. uh, combined, 
the frontier market economies have a population of 2 billion. Wow, so basically it is more than investing in India. And oh, absolutely. Absolutely. India and China, uh, the sort of basket is bigger than uh, China or India individually. A absolutely, bigger than any emerging country yeah. individually and population-wise definitely you know, yeah. bigger than the, emer the developed almost, countries. Yeah, even. they're almost one-third of the world population. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, but given mm. that, uh, why are they attractive? Because they currently account for only 6% of the world's nominal GDP and only 0.4% of global market capitalization. Wow, so that's where it shows, so, so two factors. The nominal GDP, the growth opportunity, at least participate to the level of your growth population. If not, I'm at least even if to, you go up to half, 15%. Even 10%. It's a huge number. Yeah, it's a big number. And similarly, global market capitalization, it shows uh, that uh, they are at pretty primitive stage. It was just 0.4%. So, so the investment vehicles and feeding into economy, the mechanism can trigger and there's a lot of opportunities. So both which, are open. Which is why, you know, even though some of them are rich and developed, uh -huh. we find, uh, you know, in terms of market capitalization and, and economic uh, contribution, mm -hmm. um, uh, phenomenal room for uh, growth. Mm -hmm. um, uh, coming to the demographics again, you know, um, not only are they one third of the world's population, but it's a relatively young uh, collectively. 60% uh, are under 30 years of age. That's a big number. Average is 30. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, this is, as you pointed out, a decade less, a full decade, 10 years less than the average age of 40.5 of the 1 billion living in developed nations and even within the developed nations we have countries like Japan and several mm -hmm. others uh, with aging populations. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a very stark difference uh, in terms of uh, I, I think the young uh, and the demographics. Of Got the it. There's a lot of hands on the deck they can utilize. And that kind of young population 60 percent under 30 years of age. Wow. Uh, again, on average, labor costs are pretty low compared with costs in other nations. And including maybe I would consider China, India, the other low-cost emerging markets, so-called emerging markets now on the path of getting developed. Yeah. Correct. And then this demographic advantage combined with uh, a debt to GDP that is much lower mm -hmm. uh, means that they, you know, they have significantly good long-term growth prospects. Uh, in 2011, for instance, frontier markets posted an average GDP growth of 4.9%, which was, you know, uh, much f faster, three, almost three times faster than the 1.6% uh, average for the 10 largest advanced economies, according to the World Bank. So not at the right. phenomenal rates yet mm -hmm. as of China and India, which would be in the 7 to 8%, mm -hmm. or even 9 in the last decade, but still, you know, 4.9%. Uh, is pretty significant relative to the uh, advanced economies. Yeah, so, so I, I think it is very convincing that uh, even if you don't look at just from the investment point of view as an investment vehicle, if you started picking up basis the demographics, where how many people are available, available to contribute to economy? So the number which you mentioned, 60% under 30 years of age, my assumption is uh, like if you start counting people under age of 40, which are providing at the peak performance or under 50, they still have a long way to go. So there's a lot of population in that bandwidth which can contribute to the growth of economy. And uh, 
Uh, you're right on the GDP growth also. They've been, they've, they've been growing already, uh, although it's a past rate of 2011, faster than uh, the growth rate of uh, advanced economies. So there's an opportunity as the systems processes economy progresses a little bit more to come up to the level of the so-called BRIC countries and emerging markets of the past. So what we'll do, Dr. Sally, is we'll take a break here and uh, we will continue our interesting discussions after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. America Business Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and I'm here with Dr. Sally from University of Houston. We're talking about the frontier markets. Dr. Sally, we talked about the growth potentials uh, uh, provided by demographics. Uh, l- let's continue with your thoughts here. Sure. Thank you. Uh, I think the other two points uh, to consider, at least from the investment perspective again, um, would be that uh, you know portfolio diversification uh, you know, since we, most of the developed and even now emerging countries are kind of globally linked uh, with increased global uh, economic integration, they, they move in sync with one another. Uh, frontier markets, however, have a lower degree of correlation mm-hmm. as of now with the global economy. So they could be effective in improving portfolio diversification. For example, in times of recession, Uh, or even accelerated growth, they might be a countermeasure. Uh, So that would be a useful uh, diversification uh, mechanism. So I'd say that would be one other uh, reason to get involved with frontier markets. Perfect. Um, The other one is, you know, we, we, you know, these are numbers, but we talked of the 2011 where they had 4.9% growth. Uh, In terms of above average returns though, um, you know, eight of the 10 best performing equity markets in 2013 were frontier markets Mm -hmm. with phenomenal gains of almost 41% in US dollar terms. Now these are not typical, as you said, you know, there is volatility and they range wildly from one year to the other. But you know, if you're a patient investor Mm -hmm. uh, with a long-term horizon, uh, we're looking at the potential for significant returns, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from such markets over time. Um, in fact, this is a point which is often, uh, you know, talked about by some of these uh, 
not surprisingly, uh, you know, portfolio managers. So I'll give you one quote. Uh, Robert Harvey, a portfolio manager at Matthews Asia uh, that, you know, invests in these uh, in frontier markets, says that over the next 10 to 15 years, they might deliver growth ahead of any other equity class. A very bullish statement, but, you know, it's, it's an indication of the kind of uh, growth that some, some of these uh, are, are being forecast. Got it, got it, got it. And also, so there are good opportunities there, what you mentioned, the growth potentials and all that, and then there are risks associated, as we were talking about. So some of the risks are, risks are liquidity. That could be an issue for most markets, especially during turbulent times. And uh, uh, also because the volume is very thin in these countries. And that volume uh, may not, and, and, and what can do this lack of volume may result in limited liquidity and wide bid ask spreads in those markets. Then are the associated second geopolitical and political risks. They, some of them are in unstable areas and political change is another issue. The policies of the government can change very quickly. Inflation is the third one. A risk. There's a constant threat in some of these countries, and uh, if the inflation goes out of whack, your your investment returns are substantially implement, uh, impaired. Uh, and then is uh, the most important one: lack of transparency. And the, in the availability of information is an issue, and beyond that is the currency. In some of the even the emerging markets, even BRICS, you look at India. In over the years, how the currency has fluctuated. Well, Brazil too. Brazil too. India, Brazil, both of them. Also, uh, if you look uh, into, if you're still keeping the equity side, the, the frontier market economies might not be diversified, like Kuwait. Kuwait would rely on energy, almost 90% of it, for its revenues, and uh, same sector is giving them the export. So if 90% of the economy is in oil, the country is not diversified. And uh, some of the countries may have a very stringent capital controls. And there is a history, even in emerging markets and BRICS, of controlling the cash, entering or leaving the country. Prime examples are Argentina and Nigeria, what happens there. And these restrictions can scare the investors into investing in such economies. They don't know that maybe, yeah, we are getting some good return, but will I be able to take my return out or not? So these are some of the issues uh, which we see, uh, which are limiting factors. Right. Uh, so I guess to summarize, you know, from an investment perspective, uh, you know, frontier markets offer investors the advantages of uh, above average returns driven by favorable demographics, opportunity for portfolio diversification, um, and uh, I think as well as, uh, as we said, the, uh, the demographic uh, advantage. Uh, however, as detailed, you know, there, there are definitely risks mm -hmm. uh, involved. Uh, given the current stage of development and some of the uh, political and um, liquidity risks mentioned. Uh, you know, having said that, you know, there's a role for them, uh, for, for some investors, and, uh, you know, they probably do constitute the last frontier of investing in an otherwise 
I won't say relatively certain word, but you know, we, we've, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, there's a reason they call frontier markets. There's risk uh, and there's reward. <laughs> there's risk and there's reward. Uh, so invest, uh, you know, it, it's an option. And yeah. not surprised that so many uh, of the major, uh, you know, indices uh, have been established now mm. for these markets. Um, but let's talk about, you know, Mahesh, as we talked earlier about, you know, the business aspect uh, as somewhat different to an investment perspective. And you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's true. Because as we started the program, then let's look at frontier markets uh, with two different viewpoints. One is the investment vehicle with the investment community came out with this name. Second is what's happening to the business? Because why would you invest in the stock market or stocks of in, a, in a country when you see there is a growth profile? You can't invest in a company which could be good, but the surrounding is so bad you can't grow. So in terms of um, business, so if you're looking for double digit growth, which we used to see in emerging market like Brazil, Russia, China, etc., none of them is there. Not even China, which was there for so long, India running at close to seven. So uh, that's fine. And so now you have to look at something else. You may not get it. But in these markets, frontier markets, because their base is small, there is still a chance to have double digit growth. And uh, also some of these countries, the, the past countries where uh, people are going for business, the import and export has been becoming a little bit an issue. And most of the multinationals, which were uh, going all into China, India, etc., now looking for low income, and even if it's a high risk country, as the new markets where they can sell the goods, as well as they can take goods and services from that country and take it to the other regions, not necessarily to the parent country from where they're coming, to the rest of the world. And uh, the frontier economies, uh, they what what's what's negative there what they see when you go for business uh, markets manipulated by politicians the political interference the lack of legal system and the per capita income is pretty low so the consumer spending power could be low there for, for some of them for some of them not right. all of them right. yeah yeah you can't say for you <laughs> yeah. you're yeah. absolutely right <laughs> and the gdp is not on a consistent trajectory it could be up and down uh, but now you look at it, let's say look at only the 25 countries on that one of the indexes, 19 out of that are forecasters to grow the fastest over the next five years. So here's an opportunity even for business people. And, uh, and some of these are like Mozambique, Vietnam, Rwanda, and Myanmar. And so many years ago, nobody would talk about them. It could be Vietnam people will be keeping an eye on it for, for low cost labor. and. Some of these countries have another added advantage. They have untapped resources, natural resources. It could be minerals, it could be metals, could be anything else. And if you look at um, the effect of commodity prices, they have been soft. So the investment globally coming in developing these, uh, it, is, it can still continue to boost income and growth, although it has been soft in the past, but it's not going to remain like that. And uh, also, if you see uh, in past when the global economy was going through an upheaval, it did not impact these countries as much. Mm -hmm. First, they're small, but at the same time, it gives you another trend that they're not impacted by it. They're a little bit insulated, so they can create their or charter their own path of growth. And uh, as it looks from the trends, uh, that the first mover advantage 
would be there right now, if, as was the case with India, China, and maybe, God knows, 200 years ago with the United States, when people were investing here. The risk uh, could be overblown, but there are genuine risks there, so it needs to be evaluated, and some of them uh, can be politically um, maneuvered, and they can distort the market because they are limited to sectors only characterized by very large capital investment. And most of them could be resource extraction like minerals and metals or the infrastructure. In, on the other hand, where the sectors where small money is involved tend to attract less political interest. Like if you are in Botswana, the political interest or impact would be more on diamond. It may not be on an IT back office or if it is a business process outsourcing kind of stuff. Now, there is always a scope for competing in value and, and rapidly growing underdeveloped sectors in these countries because most of them are underdeveloped. And I can think of an example of, let's look at Tiffany and Company. They have successfully diamond polishing, set up uh, uh, their in, in institutions, their businesses for successfully doing diamond polishing operations in Cambodia, Botswana, Mauritius, and Vietnam, along with their operations which are in Belgium, which is in art of Europe. Now, the strong macro fundamentals and the low penetration of basic goods and services, that gives an opportunity for investment. In the companies that are well-managed and are positioned for domestic growth, can, attractive, can, can attract investors from outside. Like if you have a right business plan and you are domestically oriented in that country, people will invest in you because you're not relying only on export. You have a product and a business which can grow in the country itself. And uh, definitely the, the low, co low, low cost of labor makes it attractive. Uh, destination for foreign direct investment for manufacturing etc as China which was a global factory is uh, seeing a tremendous increase in cost and um, uh, as we already know a lot of manufacturing facilities have gone to Vietnam and along with the low labor cost as the FDI comes in it will turn into rapid urbanization and that triggers further economic growth. Uh, Dr. Sally we'll take a short break here uh, and then we'll continue our discussion. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having very intriguing and interesting discussions about frontier markets. Dr. Selly, we talked about uh, the frontier markets in terms of investments, investment funds. We talked about the businesses, the opportunities, pluses and minuses. And if you were to combine all of it and we had to arrive at what should one do about this market, what do you think? Yeah, thank you. Uh, definitely very interesting. And as we said, you know, these are probably the last frontier mm -hmm. uh, in terms of growth, but uh, you know, phenomenal room for growth. So I'd say roughly 20 years ago, uh, you know, if you look at the current uh, emerging markets, as they were called, they were undergoing very similar developments that frontier markets are undergoing today. And going back, as we said, 200 years ago, maybe the US was at we'll that say, stage. Yeah. So you know, uh, frontier markets, generally uh, less research than emerging market peers, uh, attracted much less investment. Um, however, many companies are well positioned to benefit from the next wave of economic development, uh, both as these countries continue to deepen capital markets and as well as they continue to grow domestically. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, frontier markets offer great exposure to domestic demand and some of the fastest growing economies with attractive demographics. You know, uh, we mentioned Myanmar as one of the countries, and mm. uh, as we know, you know, Coca-Cola has invested uh, quite heavily in developing infrastructure in Myanmar, uh, well, of course, to sell Coca-Cola products, yeah. <laughs> but it goes hand in hand, yeah. right? Uh, so for investors, you know, global benchmarks represent a starting point for understanding the frontier world, uh, but you know, there's a limitation arising from differences among these benchmark providers as to the definitive list of frontier markets. Uh, so one approach could also be you know, to pursue an index agnostic approach. Um, um, in addition, many unclassified countries represent a source for future investment opportunities. Um, liquidity is, is still a challenge for investors in the, in the stock market uh, for these. Um, and for larger global flows, uh, on the other hand, you know, some of these risks are not uh, dissimilar to those yeah. of emerging markets either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is maybe a frontier market, but, you know, these are not uncharted territories uh, in terms of uh, investors having seen markets like this before. Uh, in the frontiers market universe, the indices lend themselves more to certain countries and sectors, as we said, given the large weightage of some of these. Um, so that's, that's presently. In addition, most of the equity ownership is controlled by local investors, but that's what leads to the low correlation, right, with uh, emerging and developed markets. So, you know, summarizing, uh, you know, we do see them, as we've discussed, as an attractive opportunity uh, for investors looking for an asset class with significant growth potential, as well as one that is less correlated, but also less efficient yeah. compared to the traditional emerging and developed markets. And as well as for businesses, as we said, you know, uh, mm -hmm. again, there is considerable potential, uh, but it depends also on how these sectors develop and, you know, your long-term view in terms of investments that might be needed to reap the benefits uh, that would accrue in the future. Yeah, that's very well said. That's perfect. And, you know, we all know the potential for high growth. Whenever you're looking for high growth comes with risk. <laughs> There's nothing which comes without risk. And uh, 
and investing in such markets uh, in terms of investment definitely will mean and and will will see more price volatility if you are comparing it to more developed markets like for Europe or uh, for example Europe or Japan or or, or USA and and that's not no, uh, abnormal that's kind of normal so it, it's always that the big rewards go uh, hand in hand with large price swings because you can't get large price you can't get uh, big rewards if there are no price swings so the volatility uh, is the time where you can get more reward also so if if you're looking to invest in this sector you one must take a long-term view because we have seen in the past with uh, the emerging markets and all that means that don't think in terms of a year or year and a half you may have to think about a decade or decade and a half you may have to start thinking in those lines and similarly for business people uh, if uh, or the multinationals if you have missed out the opportunities 50 years ago to go into countries like China India Brazil to expand into emerging markets this gives an opportunity and here the basket of countries is much more it's, it's not one country India we are going you can pick and choose uh, which country is more uh, suitable for your kind of expansion into frontier markets what's your product line if you're in healthcare we, where must you go if you're in insurance where you must go it looks like from the investment community funds that if you're in financial industry you must go because <laughs> most of their investment is in banking sector there so opportunity for all but while you're walking in uh, you may have to do a risk reward equation and along with that you see what other options or investment opportunities you have so one is you weigh the risk you weigh the reward for let's say for investment and thirdly if you are not coming in these if you're not evaluating in these two where else you would have gone so there is three way to look at it same way for people who are getting into business they will have to look at it that what opportunities they missed out in the past it's it's an offer to you align uh, with your characteristics of your product your business your uh, moral and uh, work ethics culture of the company and uh, the, the basket of 25 to 41 countries is pretty big so you can have a pick and choose so uh, thank you so much uh, dr sally it has been a very interesting discussion and uh, with the frontier markets today, uh, we kind of completed that uh, uh, challenge to the BRICS market. That is BRICS, is it the end of BRICS? Who's going to replace it? We talked about uh, the N11 countries, we talked about TIM, we talked about Mint, and here today we have another opportunity with the frontier markets, which is kind of challenging the environment to probably take place of the next large growth opportunity in place of the BRICS. Thank you, Mahesh. Uh, great discussions. Thank you.